you're having fun, guess what? Everybody else will too. You learn better if you're having fun. You take it in and you'll actually relate to a joke that might be about something terribly serious, but the joke will take you back to that bit of knowledge because you're more likely to remember the funny bit and then you'll go from funny bit bang to the realisation of the knowledge and realise to me is make it real. We are here with Billy Wild. Her website is B-I-L-I-E-W-I-L-D-E dot com. And she is an expert on anything or everything to do with stage. And Billy loves to watch light bulbs and epiphanies exploding around her clients as they work together on their individual problems. And she is a co-author with Pat Masidi in the book Dream Big and Act Fast. And we're just going to be talking about how to come alive, be present, perform under pressure sometimes, and to step up and be the best person that you can be. So, Billy, glad to be talking to you. It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much, Robert. It's divine. And I'm hoping that everybody out there is going to get something from this that will help them to understand that actually it's not a scary process to be on stage. One thing that intrigues me is you get these wonderful people who have so much knowledge, so much to give, and you put a microphone in front of them and they suddenly go, and go to an implosion state when in fact the knowledge that they've gained is because of passion. They own their stuff. And as I always say, if you own it, you have every right to put it out there. And the other factor is you've been asked to get up there and talk. Hello? You've been get asked to get up there and talk? They don't want to throw eggs at you. They want to gain some of your knowledge. And the most beautiful thing you can do is to give it to them in a manner that they will receive with your passion because then they will receive it better. Ever been sitting in a room with someone lecturing and they're lecturing in a manner that's, yes, I know this stuff and it's coming from my brain. But unfortunately, it isn't going through my brain into my heart, to my emotional center and being allowed to present in a manner that people want to reach out great. Charisma. And so there, there's someone out there who's watching or listening this show with us right now, and they've put in all these years that you've mentioned. They've put in all this passion, and they've studied, and they're an expert in something. And now it is their chance to step up on that stage and deliver that passion in a focused few minutes. So that way that audience doesn't have to go through all those years of learning. And you're saying that maybe sometimes the passion is not channeled correctly, right? That they are not taking the same passion they took towards learning as to presenting, or sometimes they're scared or they let all sorts of silly obstacles get in their way. And how do you help? Like if someone says, I can't present or I don't, I can't put, get that passion across, what's a good starting point to coming alive and being vibrant and all those other things? The most straightforward thing is asking the question, 
Why are you afraid to show your passion? Because more often than not, it comes back to this fear of not appearing academic. They are afraid that if they say, and I love this, and that's where, oh, look, this is where it happens, and everything explodes, and the universe comes alive, and they are thinking, if I do that, I'm not going to look like a serious academic. You've got to be straight-faced and you've got to be serious and you've got to look like you're highly intelligent and not allowed to have fun. No. The learning is best and easiest when you're having fun. The more fun we eat, the better. And you remind me of, for example, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he teaches about all sorts of things about space and stars and the universe, and he gets really excited and he throws in humor and he's fun, but you can also tell that he knows what he's talking about. So what I'm getting from you is that it's all about the nuance, right? That uh, serious, it, they don't, serious and knowledgeable do not have to be married to each other. You can still be knowledgeable, but also exciting and add jokes and add humor and kind of be more, just be not so flat and just be more around the spectrum there and have the knowledge, but also the fun and excitement that can also be added to it. Yes. And that fun and excitement is often put in, pushed into the background a little bit when one is worried about the microphone, worried about how people are perceiving, what are they looking at, how it all presents in general if they're afraid of the mic because they, the only reason they would be afraid is because they don't know the microphone. You make friends with all these people. When your friend microphone, for example, also if they're doing any of my exercises, they need friend mirror. One of your best friends has to be the mirror because you have to watch what's happening with your throat, your jaw, your shoulders, your posture, etc. Friend mirror. That's a difficult one for a lot of academics, particularly because they don't want to look at themselves. They just want to write and create wonderful pieces of knowledge. They're most comfortable doing that on paper, not in front of people. But once you see and learn to see the expressions on people's faces as epiphanies happen to them, then you've got your audience that's going, get that name. Wow. I've got that now. Ping, little light bulbs going off right, left, and center. Watch an audience where light bulbs are everywhere. It's better than the spotlight. But it's, a, it's an art that you develop of knowing that's a valid thing to do. It's valid because it allows people to receive what you have done. So I'm getting a lot of positivity from your mindset that when someone's in that situation where 
they're speaking into the microphone, they're presenting something, you can choose to be positive or negative about it. And you can choose to focus on how people will be judging me, or you can choose to focus on me putting this content out there and then seeing how people will react and how they will enjoy it. And what's been helpful for me so far from what you've been saying is that it's important to dig deep and ask yourself why you're afraid. Don't just let it be a big blanket that paralyzes you. Figure out why you're afraid or why you're nervous. And you said that it might be something as simple as you want to be taken seriously. You're an academic and maybe you have that limiting belief there. And then you're also saying that it's important to see yourself, see the mirror, and you watch the recording of when you presented just to see how you come across. And is that difficult for some people to do? Because I imagine it's hard to just even just look at yourself and see how you come across. And there's that fear of, am I too in love with myself? I just like looking at my beautiful face. And so how do people get over that? How do people get to that point where they're comfortable being themselves and they can see what they look like as they present and they like what they see? How do we get there? It's number one, acceptance of who and what you are. You accept that one. Once you've managed to accept basics, then you can move away from that. As I said in that chapter, when Barry Crocker commented about my behavior backstage when I was a very young performer, before I was about to walk out onto a television screen in front of a few million people, it was very to me because all I was thinking about was how I was going to appear if I made one note wrong, which generally I don't. It's, it's just a terrifying concept to do that in front of so many people. And he said some magic words, which I think everybody who does present on a stage could look at, and that is step aside from yourself. Leave yourself alone. Step aside and, and just go out there. Have fun delivering that which you deliver so well. And if you're having fun, Guess what? Everybody else will too. And as we go back to that thing, you learn better. If you're having fun, you take it in and you'll actually relate to a joke that might be about something terribly serious, but the joke will take you back to that bit of knowledge because you're more likely to remember the funny bit and then you'll go from funny bit to the realization of the knowledge and realize to me is make it real. I love it. So if you make things funny, it will stick better. It will stand out better. And if you're having fun, they'll be having fun as well. And a few minutes before we were speaking, I was thinking similarly along these lines that there's the person that you are and the person that you want to be. And if you try to say, let me piece by piece, become this performer, become this person that comes alive. That's a really long process. But if you say, I'll step into this role, or like you said, I'll step aside and I'll just temporarily inhabit this 
singer, this actor, this speaker, it, that seems a lot more doable. It seems like more of a shortcut and it seems like a, a quick fix or a temporary way to overcome the nervousness. If you say, it's not really me who's presenting, it's this fictitious person that's coming alive temporarily to, to present this. And so you have this, this history of being on television. And can you tell us about this, about your, your singing career and like just what you've done as far as the acting and the performing and what we can learn from that? The thing is that when I was in America, I was doing a lot of theater and playing leads. And I was initially very frightened of that as well. And I had to take myself back to, I think we go back to what Barry said, but also the realization that the people want to see you do what you do. It's got, it's like an NLP, a neuro linguistic programming technique. If you decide on a certain thing before you walk out onto that stage and you, it could be tweaking your ear, it could be clenching a fist, it could be, yes, I've got it. And I own this. And once you're convinced you are in it, then out, you can let it go. And you can just do that. You can actually say, I own this before you walk through that stage door. And you can then yeah. let it go in whatever way you want, whatever works for you. It could be a tweak of the ear. It could be a clench of the fist. It could be a particular type of smile or some kind of silly thing. It could be, uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you are in your mind that's going to release that knowledge and allow it to come through your entire body because when your entire body is engaged that's when all those entire bodies in front of you will become engaged too does that make uh, sense it, it does so you're saying that the next time we're in one of those stressful situations where we're about we're on the spot and we're about to present something say to yourself i own this and figure out some sort of a a power move or an anchor or just some kind of movement. So that way that signifies that you are now in that place, in that place of mentalness, where you say, okay, now my brain is fixated on this and I can now release my gifts to the world. And so in all your history, I'm sure you have some fun stories like this. And you mentioned that you have a few stories in your a chapter of the book, but as stories are the most amazing things ever because it allows us to time travel, back with you and experience a fun moment. So does anything come to mind about a story you feel like sharing today? Wow. Gosh, I'd have to wade through screenings. I know that there have been times when something's gone wrong on stage. And one particular time, I, oh, that's right, a show, oh, what was it called? It was at the Footbridge Theatre here in Sydney. And I was a lead, the lead female. It's not a well-known show, but it's very funny. And I was meant to be wearing a particular belt that symbolized that the belt had been changed by someone, that, that they 
we whipped the belt off one, one side of the stage as I exited. The, my wardrobe person took the belt off and we raced around to the other side and we forgot to put it back on. And part of the script was referring to the belt from the lead male. And there he was trying to figure out how he was going to refer to the belt that wasn't. I suddenly realized and raced off and went, and I went, oh my God, I have to get out of the situation. And I raced off and whack, the belt was back on. And this before the other belt was, I raced back out and he continued with the script. And it takes me to uh, the chef, the American chef who was the first chef to go on television, Childs, Julia Childs way back in the dim and distant. And there was a movie, Julie and Julia, that was about this. And one of the things that Julia used to say when she was creating a masterpiece, if something went wrong, she'd say, you're staring up to these people now. Never, never. Just don't let them know. Put it together in whatever way. They'll never know unless you tell them. And that's the truth. If something goes wrong on stage, you don't let them know. <laughs> you regret and keep going. Make it look like you meant it. That's great advice. To There's taking things seriously, but there's also having a little bit of room for the happy accidents and you're making me think of there's there's one time i think maybe 15 years ago when i was at some random conference and there was some random speaker presenting and he did a great job and then afterwards i was talking to him and he said oh i was so nervous i was shaking and i was sweating and i i told him i didn't even notice i would not have thought anything of it except for afterwards you made it a point to tell me how much you were shaking and sweating and ever since then, I've been thinking that to myself is we all have those times when we get nervous, when we have trouble breathing or just things don't go right. And uh, people won't catch on un unless you tell them. So I love that story there. And so as we're winding down these last few minutes, I want to know what got you into all this, all of this theater acting? Was it just something that you fell into or did you have a desire for it? What was your genesis of acting? Do you know, I was in a family where my father was a bass baritone, my mother was a coloratura soprano. These wonderful, astonishing people, who, they were brilliant and they were very well regarded. My fear of singing in front of them, because they were so brilliant, I never sang. I never entered a choir at school. I never did anything until year 11, my second last year of high school, I suddenly decided I'm going, they're going to do trial by jury at Gilbert and Sullivan. I wanted to be the plaintiff. And I went to Mrs. Bush, the music teacher, and she was doing audition. And I knocked on the door and came in and she said, oh, you're here. Why are you here? Because I'd never even gone to the choir or anything. I said, I'd like to audition you, Mrs. Bush. And she said, oh, really? You'd like to be in the choir? And I said, no, Mrs. Bush. And she said, 
what are we looking at? And I said, the plaintiff. And she said, no, really? (laughs) She didn't know what to expect. And she started to play. She said, okay, let's do it. And I said, I'll have to read over your shoulder because I don't know the song particularly well. And she started to play and I went, Calls the cheater and she went, What? And she turned around and looked at me. And I was the perfect Gilbert and Sullivan heroine, long blonde hair and the whole kit and caboodle. And she said, Aunt my lord, I've got my plaintiff and she's in year twelve. They were always in year twelve. What am I going to do? I know what I'm gonna do. So there were six performances. I did three and the year 12 girl did three. And that was so fun. And I loved every minute of it. And from there on, couldn't stop me. Amazing. I love it. And so there's people out there who are, they're afraid of putting themselves out there because sometimes the bar is set so high and we all have to start somewhere and we all have to say, even though I'm only 99.5% perfect, I'm not 100% perfect, why even try? So what would you say to someone like that who maybe they know deep down that progress will take time or that they have to at some point make the jump, but maybe they're afraid of just how they'll be received? What's the solution? What's the advice? In my book that I'm putting out very shortly, it's called How Mice Can Roll and unlock the amazing subtitle, unlock the amazing power of your voice. There's a chapter in there that's all about vulnerability and how important vulnerability is in any kind of performance and also the perfection of imperfection. And in that, I talk about the amazing Michael Crawford, who was the first phantom in Phantom of the Opera, This man is a genius actor. He's got a unique voice, but I wouldn't say it was a great voice. However, you sit and watch this man perform. He owns every sentence, every note. He's performing in a manner that you walk out of there and that phantom has got more skin crawling. And that's the important thing. He knows he's not a perfect singer, but boy, is he a great performer. So you have to know the perfection of imperfection. And sometimes when you go to a classical concert and they're playing a wonderful little trio and the cellist is stunningly brilliant and boring as because it's too perfect, it has no sense of vulnerability. And we need the vulnerability as an audience to relate. So if it's given from the stage that they're telling you a story from their perspective, then you can get it, except if you're having a story presented to you in an absolutely perfect manner, and after you get over the fact that it's perfect, you're bored. Perfect is boring. There's the perfection and imperfection, and your upcoming book is How Mice Can Roar. Tell us about the rest of yourself. What is your business about? What problem do you solve? And who is the perfect person to be contacting you? 
quite frankly, anyone who needs to present from any kind of stage, there's a section in this book, How Lies Can Roar, that actually addresses how to take the boardroom from the boardroom to a place of stimulation and excitement, which is what it should be. Everybody should be going, even if there's a downhill thing happening, you can get really excited about the possibilities of the uphill. Why not take it somewhere else that changes everybody's mindset? And mindset is what changes everything. That's the most important thing as far as I'm concerned is once you get to your mindset, you can change all the other facets around one by one, step by step. You can't go for the whole lot at once because if you try to do that, well, you're going to overwhelm yourself and nothing happens. You turn into this imploded creature and that happens all the time. So anyone who needs to present in any way and goodness me parents need to present to children if they can do that in an effective manner they get the right results if they're presenting in a manner that's all about self and self-defense and i've got to make me look like some kind of hero here or everything's all about me no if you've got any kind of audience and it could be a child, it could be a spouse, it could be the board of directors, it could be a classroom, it could be an audience of, my biggest audience was 45,000 people. In Australia, I supported Frank Sinatra for a particular thing. And uh, 45,000 people, it's a fairly significant number of people to look at at the front of you. You can't see them actually, but <laughs> you can feel them. And it's really just about that again i keep going back to the ownership of your field whatever it may be and your presentation of whatever your intellectual property is is all about your allowing the vulnerability to get the presentation across to the all-important person who is the audience or the audience could be just the one and I agree that the failures that lead to success are more interesting and the vulnerabilities and also knowing that you're not always, you're never completely finished. There's always more to be done. And you're mentioning about dealing with children. Whenever my son misunderstands something or gets something wrong, he gets super upset because he's a little baby. Meanwhile, me as an adult, if I have something misplaced, I do my best to laugh it off. I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but also I have those ownership, that ownership of the mistakes. And I know when things just don't even matter, when it's just time to move on and it's time to, to laugh at yourself and continue anyway. And so we said that your website is billywild.com. That's B-I-L-I-E-W-I-L-D-E.com. So if someone be, somebody wants to reach out to you, Billy, and they want to start that conversation or find out about your upcoming book, is that the best way for someone to contact you or are there other ways? At the moment, that's it. We're starting to establish other things. So we'll get that back out, get that out there as soon as we possibly can. There is Golan at beatbond.com that they can contact as well. 
But aside from that, not really. Unfortunately, uh, not. I've never been the greatest at putting myself out there. But this is changing because it's important, and there are a few things I want the world to learn in in lots of ways, and particularly with parent communication with children and communication in general. If people can look at words, it's not a failure. It's not a mistake. It's a lesson. Change the words around. There's a beautiful song that allows a little bit of it. Is just listen to I think that's really lovely philosophy. It's the truth. If we can change a word instead of saying, oh, you did that wrong. You say these magic words of wrong is a word that, or bad, or big mistake. What there's all these negative words that can be turned around and turned into exploration and new learning. And it's we do that, and we do that if we all did that with our children, they would go into states of terror if they make a mistake of any sort, and teachers need to learn this too. That was bad. No, that's not really the right way to go about that, is it? If you went about it this way, it might come out a different way. So you put other possibilities in front of them and get them to explore instead of implode. But adults suffer from it too. It's exactly the same thing, just in a larger body form. <laughs> those are w- wonderful lessons, right? There's never mistakes. There are just those lessons. And we're all improving. We're all learning. And as we're wrapping up our conversation here, Billy, I always like to dig deep and ask about some advice that you wish you'd gotten 10, 20, 30 years ago. Does anything really come to mind as far as just something that you wish you, if only you'd known this back then, so much would have changed. Does anything come to mind as far as that sort of profound life advice? The thing that I think matters most is that most people are not aware how much influence their hind brain has on them. And that is memories from way back into early childhood. In fact, the druids have a saying, which is, show me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man. And we are now in control of so much more information that if we explore these possibilities, we can sit back. I teach people to sit back and allow themselves to fall into a gentle, almost self-hypnotic state of exploring the voices that they hear coming to their forebrain frequently that stop them from doing things, that make them feel inferior, make them feel small, unworthy, whatever, all of those dreadful words. They will be able to put them aside and say, who can I see? saying that statement to me because if you allow yourself you eventually will have the face there 
saying those words, whatever those words were, whether it's, for example, you will never make it on the stage. You can't sing. Listen to that. You just made a bad note or something. No, that's, again, a mistake and I can fix it. The fact is there are those little voices that niggle and niggle and niggle and niggle and become part of you. Whereas we can learn to sit back, see the face and say, hey, Nana or whoever said it and said it fairly frequently. I much, I love you to bits and I have to let this go because it's not any longer applicable in my life. Very powerful. And so now is the time. If you out there in podcast land have that inner critic that has been with you for so long and nagging, nibbling, criticizing, holding you back, not serving you, maybe it's time to adjust that mindset and to say, you've been coming to me with this voice again and again and just holding me back, keeping me down. And that's nice advice, but it's not needed anymore. I've been living with this since age seven up until adulthood, and now it's time to finally change. And so if someone is intrigued and inspired by what you've said so far today, then the very next step is to go to billywild.com to see what's there, to dig into her chapter in Dream Big and Act Fast, and also in her upcoming book, How Mice Can Roar. So thank you very much, Billy, for showing up, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you very much, Robert. It's beautiful and and so adore being in this situation. And you're brilliant, by the way. You are.